Hello to everyone tuning in. Welcome to the Celtics Life Podcast. We're a Boston Celtics fan site that covers everything Celtics from the latest trade rumors to that other trade rumor to the Nets pick and how exactly Danny Ainge got his free Chipotle for life card. Honestly, no one really knows. The pod covers all the same topics as our site does, but a little bit more freely and from a weekly point of view. Best part of it all is that we're talking about it from a fan's perspective. We'll cover last week's games and major stories, as well as a look into the week ahead. We'll change things up as the show evolves, so let us know what you want to hear if something comes to mind. I'm Topher Lane, here with Justin Quinn. Justin, how's it going? Not too bad. So we had an interesting week as Celtics fans. Uh, three and one over the course of the week. Uh, th- uh, last week's podcast, Luis predicted a three and one record, but I don't think that anyone thought that the loss was going to come at the hands of the Atlanta Hawks and that it would come as badly as it did. Uh, we'll start at the beginning. Detroit. So I was actually predicting the same record um, in my head, obviously not on the podcast. And Honestly, I really thought it was going to be Detroit. I thought that we were going to deal with some fallout of Drummond being shopped. And, you know, the Boston Celtics kind of tend to play pretty flat-footed after they had some time off. So It seemed that way, for sure. Just with, uh, you know, how it was going down. I mean, just especially with the Toronto game, Detroit. I mean, it, it seemed like the Celtics outmatched with the exception of Drummond they outmatched I feel like the the Pistons in most aspects but really couldn't pull away um and it it felt like they were just kind of a little bit slow throughout the game um Jalen Brown really stepped up I I didn't get to catch the entire game I rewatched it but I I made it to a Buffalo Wild Wings in Burlington Vermont for like the last like five minutes of game time and so I got there as Jalen Brown made that that corner three uh, drilled it, got the foul, and then Marcus flies in for the rebound on the missed free throw. Which, like, really, those those plays really that saved the game. Yeah. So, I, what what I mean, Isaiah had a solid game. Um, you know, I mean, I mean it, if you call thirty three points a solid game, I, I would say it's pretty great. You know, I mean, it's not any of his forty point plus explosions that he was having. You know, before the All Star break, but. 33 points is nothing to sneeze at, though we did start to see the the results of um, the results of having him be the focus of the offense. Al Horford was having some issues um, up until probably the last game this week against the Lakers, which we'll get to in a minute. That, that really pointed to the fact that when, when Al Horford is is not hitting offensively, um, it creates a lot of problems for Isaiah. And, and even though he did score 33 points, we, we, we saw a lot of that. Again, in the Detroit game, it was, it was a really close game, a lot closer than it really should have been, you know, even with my prediction being what it is. Um, thankfully, that did not come into fruition, um, you know, Drummond had a monster game, as I expected, just, you know, had something to prove, at least to himself, if not to his coach. And, you know, Caldwell Pope is pretty good, too. He put up 18 points. Um, Reggie Jackson seemed like he had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, too, which I don't blame him for being shopped so much. He had 17 points also. And even Marcus Morris had a good game. Do you think, I almost went to the game, but I road-tripped uh, to the East Coast, but do you think that, you know, I mean, at halftime, they... Uh, retired Rip Hamilton's jersey. 
Uh, do you think that had anything that had him fired up? The fact that it was Rip, Rip was in the building, that it was maybe oh, a little sure. bit more emotional in, uh, uh, where is it? It's um, the palace out, yeah. like a little bit outside of Detroit. Do you think that had any any reasoning behind, you know, why they played the way they did? I'm sure it did. I mean, he's a big part of their history. I mean, he brought the their most recent title improbably on board. I mean, I'm I'm a Yukon homer myself, I'll admit it, so I was not too upset about that happening. Um but I mean I wouldn't think it was just that. I think that that one of two things usually happens when half the team gets chopped and you know, it can go either way. Either either they come out and perform like a bunch of people who should have been on the market or they come out and try to prove that they shouldn't have been. And while I don't know that they're going to sustain that kind of effort for the rest of the season, I think that, you know, we almost became a victim of that. Yeah. And I mean, you could see that with the Celtics a couple of years ago when, you know, everyone was on the market. It can really, it can mess with team chemistry. It can mess with guys kind of psyches as they're going into the, into the game. Um, but it seems like now the deadline's over, it looks like the Pistons have kind of taken a sigh of relief. A lot of the players on that roster um, at least knowing that they're kind of stable where they are. Um, but, I mean, do you think that any Celtic? I mean, Jay Crowder, um, do you think he was a little laggy going into the deadline? I honestly wasn't really paying too much attention to it. But I feel like he's the name that would always was involved in trades. Oh, of course. I mean, he's got to be one of the highest value contracts in the league with the, the years left on it for the value that he's – I mean, he's he's basically one of the better starting 3 and D guys in the league – he and he's making about half of what starter money is now, so it's it's hard to see why any team wouldn't be asking for him. Even even Chicago, who rebuilding as they are, should probably be asking for younger players. I understand why they would include him in, in any kind of a trade package. All right, so let's uh, move on to Atlanta, the lone loss. Um, I'm gonna prep. It. I'm I'm a huge Celtics fan. I I don't think I've ever turned off a game because I've been so sick of it this season. I remember you and that when we were in, you know, in our um, in our off-game chat, talking amongst each other, the Celtics, the Celtics life writers. Um, we have a little group chat going. That we used to talk about the blog and just stuff in general. And um, yeah, you were not very happy. I just, I, I mean, I just gotten home from that road trip. I'd been in the car for like four and a half hours after like another, after I'd been in the car for like twenty something leading up to that. So I was just drained, and then I turn on the game, and we're just getting wrecked and order absolutely yeah pummeled is a great expression it just was it was miserable and i mean i just i was so demoralized you know um and there was nothing good so isaiah thomas who had 43 straight games of 20 points or more he lost his streak so that was upsetting um bradley came back and like everyone was excited for him to be in the lineup but he was terrible yeah and it saw so I mean, he was okay on defense but I was worried that that was like a sign of things to come that that Bradley, you know, wasn't going to play well um, for the rest of the year. That like he just wouldn't find his form after that Achilles injury. And so I was kind of like, I was just like finding the worst of every situation. You know, <laughs> the fact they were getting really decimated by the Hawks, um, a team that you know you'd think we would do pretty well against. Um, well, they really turned it around. Um, once they moved Corver, um, they, they realized they actually did still have something. And, uh, you know, a lot of people I think are underestimating them. Um, and I think that, you know, we still had the flat footedness I was talking about a minute ago going on post all-star break then, and with, with AB coming back, you know, that, that did a little bit of something in terms of rotations and chemistry, um, 
I think that in in retrospect, it's not that surprising. Uh, but I didn't see it coming either. Yeah, I mean, I my predictions saw us probably going two and two. You know, I I figured that Detroit maybe they'd they'd take a win on at home, and that Cleveland obviously like I mean they they're a tough game. You've lost every every matchup with them so far this season up till this week. But I didn't. I really was expecting Atlanta to be not a cakewalk, but I expected it to be a game that we shouldn't have an issue with. Uh, well, the 18 turnovers that Boston committed definitely, definitely did not help their case. Yeah, and we were devastated in the paint. Almost doubled up, 60 to 34 in the paint by Atlanta. Uh, and obviously, rebounds were a huge issue. Granted, they have a really strong front court of Paul Millsap and Dwight Howard. But, you know, I mean, it, it it showed the glaring hole in the Celtics roster as far as rebounding goes. Um, So, I mean, what bright spots did you kind of have out of this game? Um, For me, and I really wish I had, had, you know, like this is another one of those situations where it can go either way. Um, The Howard technicals. Um. Sometimes when a player gets a tech, particularly a really doofy tech, like the second tech that Howard got from hanging on the rim, they got him ejected. Um, they can be pretty demoralizing, and sometimes they can be pretty energizing. And somehow, even with the doofy tech, they seem to to, to really to really dig in and, and gut out the win, despite Boston's efforts at that point to get going. Like I really thought, like when when Horford when Horford got shoved. That, that would really, you know, like spark something, and it just kind of didn't. Yeah, let's talk about that, because that was dirty. Like, Horford, it was a hard foul. You know, and I was talking with my friends who's not a Celtics fan. He hates Al Horford, but, you know, it was, it was a hard foul. Nothing really flagrant about it, and then Howard, you know, gets up, puts his hand on, on Horford's chest, and just stiff arms him. Horford yeah. Was, Horford was pissed. He was, like, really mad. Justifiably so. I could have understood if they didn't make it a technical, but I mean, honestly, the intention in the the post Malice in the Palace, speaking of, um, era, um, is to try to prevent things like that from becoming fights. And when you know when you're faced up with someone and you shove them, I mean, like, granted, I understand it's emotion, but that was not part of that was not a natural emotion. That was that was a, a straight up hard foul given for a hard foul taken. And really, it should have been called as a, as a technical. You think Horford's should have been called as a technical? No, 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 no. I think that Howard's was. I think, you know, Horford's Horford's was part of the natural play of the game. I, I don't I don't necessarily see that that it was it was a hard foul for sure. But I don't think that it it warranted a technical. But I mean, when you when your response to a hard foul, a hard screen, or whatever, which you know, granted, it's probably being set to 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 make a point. Um. When your response is is to just face up with a player and shove them, it's it's a technical every time, in my opinion. It doesn't have to get called if it's if it really didn't look like it was going to turn into a fight. You know, I've I've seen it many times, played through or even just like called a, re- a regular foul. But in this particular instance, I think the refs were right. Well, that seems like a pretty Dwight Howard thing to do. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, he I feel like that's his his go to in these situations. Um, and the crowd loved it. You know, Horford was going down court um, afterwards as the refs were kind of convening to make this decision. And the crowd was 
it, they seemed like exuberant with uh, they were just really excited in this in this situation because you know i mean i i figured it was going to fire the celtics up they, they go defend their their guy and I thought that was going to be what would pull them away because at the time the Celtics and the Hawks were pretty close, I believe, um, in score. But yeah, I do think that the the Horford um, shove was probably the turning point for his slump, his offensive slump. It didn't quite manifest in that game and the next game after that even it wasn't it wasn't quite you know an offensive uh renaissance so to speak for him but i do think that at that point like something clicked because he started looking a lot more alive from that point on and and even though his offense didn't click like it did in the laker game last night um at the time of recording anyway um you're gonna be listening to this later um, he did have that ten nine and nine performance against Cleveland. Um, sometimes, sometimes I think weird things like that can be what a player needs to um, work through on the court problems like that. Well, let's uh, look at let's look at the Cleveland game because Horford started that game miserably. It was an awful start for him, um, and he, you know, he was breaking wide open layups. Um, you know, he, he was distributing well in the first half, but honestly, I mean, that's what raised the question of, is Al Horford really worth what we're paying him? Which has been kind of a topic among Celtics fans. Which uh, is a ridiculous topic. I'm just going to have to come out and say that like, yeah, he overall for the season, he's had a bit of a slump, you know, particularly, um, on like a lot of the, the little things he does on defense, um and you know the 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 offensive slump of the last you know up in the, at that time it was a four of the Atlanta game it was a four game slump of of less than double digit scoring he had something like twelve games before that um but in terms of overall stats he's only taken a very small step back from last year um a lot of that has to do with his different role on this team and I'm just going to have to like if you guys are jumping all over one of the better free agent signings in my lifetime that this club has had on a four game slump. Let me, let me just say that that is not a wise thing to do. Give, give them some time, give them the course of the season. I mean, unless they're massively underperforming and is, is disheartening as some of the recent performances uh, Al had, I would not by any means say that that's a valid, valid conversation to start yet. Well, so Horford came out, he grabbed the double double um, after, like I said, miserable first half. Um, was I think an assist shy of a triple double, or did he? Was he just had nine points? Wait, let me look at the stats. But he was. It was a, ten nine and nine, I believe. I thought he had the double double. He had a uh, ten rebounds, ten assists, nine points. Ah, yeah, okay. So he was, a, he was a point short of his first triple double in green. Um, might be his first triple double overall, but I don't really know. But so Cavs game, right? Celtics in the Garden, playing the number one team in the East. There's been kind of rumblings for a while about, you know, or at least fans, team, uh, like media guys asking, can the Celtics take the number one spot from the Cavs? You know, I mean, with the Kevin Love injury, uh, if they start sitting LeBron James, whatever else, will we see them in the Eastern Conference Finals? Like, what's what does this game mean to you? Uh, Me personally? Um, what do you think it means to fans? I mean, it's, it's probably it's the important most important that we won this game. 
it's important because with with the with the the team that we're we're chasing being the Cavs, it's it's basically a two game differential win or loss automatically. So if we had lost this game, there would be no chance of catching them for first. I mean, mathematically it's still possible, but very unrealistic. Um, and then in terms of changing the tenor of the season. Um, I think it was very important. I think that, you know, we were kind of shaky coming out of the all-star break, barely beating Detroit, losing to Atlanta. And people were starting to get nervous, like you said, about Bradley's return, whether he was going to be okay. Um, so I think getting the win is important. And for people who are saying that, you know, you, you, you know you're going to hear that this is the latter part of the season and that seeding is not important to the to the Cavaliers. But I have to ask, if LeBron is putting up 28 points, 13 rebounds, and 10 assists, does that really seem like he doesn't care about this game? Yeah, I, um, well, what is that? So how does the two seed change kind of their path to the finals? You know, they would well, play the... Well, they would probably eight. play the I would guess the Wizards at this point. I have to check the standings, but I believe the Wizards would be their matchup. Yeah, and and with the way the Raptors, you know, the Kyle Lowry injury and stuff like that, I could see him staying at the four, and then whoever is the one seed matches up with them second round, unless they lose to who is it in the fifth? Is it the Hawks still? Um, the Hawks are up in there too. So it's basically, um, Boston and Cleveland is going to be looking at. One of the Hawks, the Wizards, or Toronto, uh, based on the current seedings. Things could definitely happen based on injuries, mm -hmm. particularly Toronto, for example. Um, or say something happens to, to Cleveland and they fall to third or some craziness like that. Unlikely, but possible. Um, I have to actually ask, would it be worse for us to get the one seed? Yeah, and match up with like Toronto second round. I think in the second round, exactly. That's what I'm what I'm thinking. You know, well, I mean, like, I think we can beat any of those teams that I just mentioned, um, with the exception of Cleveland. Um, I do think it's possible for us to beat Cleveland, but not not without um, some historically bad performances by their healthy players or some ongoing lack of players like Kevin Love or say Kyrie gets hurt or something like that happens. Um, I think that for the most part, realistically speaking, what we need to be thinking about most is who we're going to match up with in the first and second round. And I actually don't know if the, the first seed is going to necessarily be beneficial for Boston to get. Home court. On court, yeah. I think I think the biggest the biggest aspect that would be taking home court if we do make the Eastern Conference Finals match up with the Cavaliers. I think that would, that is where the one seed really wins and why it really matters is for the Eastern Conference Finals. Everything else, I mean, we'd have to plow through probably a tougher path, I would say, at least matchup-wise. Um, though, honestly, I don't know if I want to play the Wizards in the playoffs because they, they have, like, a really... They hate us. Yeah, and they added Jennings. Yeah, and they, and they, they added, also... They added, uh... Bogdanovich from the Nets as well, so they're a lot better. You know, their their second unit is much much better now. Yeah, they they have a pretty. Uh, it, it, there's nowhere to really hide Isaiah on defense against the Wizards. Um, whereas at least I, I feel like <coughs> he's not great against the Raptors. The Raptors are a tough matchup. 
really both are. The, I think those are the two best teams that match up with us. Um, the the Raptors and the Wizards. I think that they're the toughest matchups for the Celtics. And I I wouldn't want to see either. But if I were to pick one of the two, I'd rather or the, it would rather be the Raptors to be honest. Yeah, at this point, I kind of feel that way also, particularly with Lowry being Lowry being injured the way that he is as late in the season as he is because his his recovery time has him coming back at at the earliest a couple with a couple weeks left in the regular season and prob more likely um right on the cusp of the playoffs if not the first round well so we'll kind of go back to the, the recap of last week's games do you think that <laughs> yeah we all you and i always get off on these crazy i don't know how we do it but we should always kind of find our way to completely different topics same with me and mark whenever we're recording these but do you think that sees that this game, the win over the Cavaliers, shows the Celtics have a threat to the Cavaliers? I go go ahead. Unhealthy Cavaliers, yes, but we don't know what kind of Cavaliers we're going to be getting, so it's very very hard to say. Um, in terms of a mostly healthy, like if they have J.R. Smith back, if they have Kevin Love, no chance. We're toast. Yeah, I don't. I mean, seven game series against LeBron James, and. Kyrie Irving I feel like they just both when it comes you know April middle of April beginning of May I feel like it's just uh suddenly their blood turns to ice and like nothing else matters they're completely different guys not that they I mean LeBron was unreal in uh in Boston on what was it Wednesday or whatever day of the week it was but you know I mean it's LeBron was unreal and when you get to the playoffs he becomes even crazier. I don't, I don't think the Celtics... I, I don't want to say that the Celtics would be swept by the Cavaliers. They won't be swept. They'll win a game. But, yeah, I mean, if I, I don't think that it would go past six games. Um, and getting no. to that sixth game, I think, is, is an exaggeration. If, perchance, one of their starters is injured, we might pull a second game. If two starters are out, we could conceivably, if healthy, win the series, though it's still very unlikely in my opinion. Yeah. Well, so we talked about Avery Bradley uh, coming back. He had that, you know, I mean, I was um, kind of shocked with how Brad Stevens played this game. I was writing the recap, and Avery Bradley basically only was effective in the first minutes of every half. So he opened up the game with those two, like, off-the-screen, long two mid-range jumpers. Uh, knocked down one of them, then hit a three in the corner, I think. He and Amir Johnson. Um, and then he did nothing for the next you know, 20, well, basically. His late defense on Kyrie, I would not call that nothing. Well, that's, that's that was the difference. I'm talking first half. First half, right? Oh, he, first half, yeah. No, he, first he, half, he comes in, he, he opens the game well. That does nothing for the next, like, 23 minutes, maybe 22. Uh, second half opens up the, the frame and has the same thing. He comes out, he scores a quick couple buckets, and then he's benched for most of the rest of the of the half. Comes in, and I was surprised that Brad Stevens called his number. I mean, I understand that it was obviously the right call. But, I mean, he was a guy that just didn't seem like he was, he was playing that well. Um, and I was still down on him after the Hawks game. Comes in in the last two minutes. Stevens says that he made sure to save those minutes for the final couple minutes of this game for his defense. And not only was he so effective at locking down Kyrie, he also hit that really clutch three um, from the left wing that, you know, put the Celtics ahead in this kind of boxing match in the final couple minutes. Um, do you think that I, I, I feel like it was just, he was playing out of his mind 
I think he he just started. He he was feeling the the atmosphere of the garden and just like stepped into it. What, what were your thoughts on just those final minutes of every Avery Bradley's game? Well, the thing that really stuck out in my mind was how locked in everybody was from from the moment of that Horford Brown oop. Um, onwards, I, I multiple times I, I caught myself praising them for getting offensive boards, for sticking to their man, for making like just like clutch ice cold shots from all over the court from players that you wouldn't necessarily expect it from, like Brown. Um, it was really the performance of the year, in my opinion, of in terms of execution, like they really, really, there were minimal, almost no visible mistakes in execution on offense and their defense was very, very solid all around as a team, as well as just not just Bradley. Um, overall, I can't think of a better front front to back effort from, from the team this season. It was um, Isaiah was really locked down in the fourth quarter. Um, he had one point. He missed three free throws, which is, Super unusual. Uh, it's just absolutely unusual. Um, but he missed those. He had one point through the first 10 minutes of the fourth quarter. Um, and then around the two-minute mark, you know, he was just like dancing through the defense, trying to find his way to the hoop. And decides maybe like 10 seconds after having just run around like all five Cavalier defenders that Jay Crowder is wide open, finds him on the wing, he hits the three. Next time down after the Cavs retake the lead, Basically the exact same thing. Finds Avery Bradley this time. He hits the the three from the left side. Uh, this kind of showed for me that Isaiah, he's not the king in the fourth because he can put up the most points in the fourth quarter, but that he finds what play is best for the Celtics. Um, how would you say Isaiah's evolved as like a distributor in that sense? Do you think he's evolved this season as a distributor? Um, and this season, definitely all around, his game has evolved considerably, but particularly in response, um, you'll remember he had a post-game quote about uh, people really, you know, as I myself wrote, actually, when you have a scheduled offensive outburst waiting in the fourth, teams adjust. You know, teams are really focusing in on him, particularly in the fourth. Um, and I think particularly in this game, um, Horford really helped him. Um, but he also found ways to hit other people in the offense just because of the fact that, you know, people are expecting him, especially in a game like this, to be the man. So I think that, you know, the decision-making process um, involved in those big moments um, and being able to judge when you're hitting and when you need to move the rock I think that he he's taken some big steps forward where some players kind of get caught in the moment and the magnitude of it, um, at least from a Celtics perspective. Well, then he hit that mm. really clutch three um, off the inbounds, which was a gorgeous play written up by Brad Stevens um, out of the timeout. And he hits that three, gives the Celtics the lead. And I think that was ultimately the the winning shot, I believe. Um, it was a, it was a phenomenal game. If you if you didn't get to to watch it, you should definitely go back and check it out. Uh, if you have league pass or or a way of catching it out, because it like I said, it became a boxing match in those final minutes, where it was just a back and forth, constant lead changes, and uh, it was really a nail biter to the final minute. Um, 
move on to complete opposite. I was just going to say that. <laughs> the Lakers rival. You wrote a phenomenal piece uh, going into this, this ball game of, you know, what would where the Celtics and the Lakers fall in terms of their rebuilds. We'll start at the same time. Kind of walk me through what you did with that piece. Well, um, I have a buddy who I talk a lot of basketball with, and he is a Lakers fan. So he's he's a really good sounding board for getting you know the polar opposite of green tinted glasses. And he made a really good point in one of our conversations about how, um, as wise as a lot of the moves that Danny has made since choosing to to remove um well not choosing to remove but working with garnett and pierce to to move um that you know they could have said no the brooklyn offer couldn't have been there or someone else could have scooped it but things worked out the way that they did because of timing and because of luck in a lot of ways um so i wanted to kind of just explore what what might have happened and how it might have been interpreted because you know you never really know what conversations and how they turn out happen with things like no trade clauses or players that you could get crucified for moving like paul pierce um you know if you had asked me before that trade if they would be able to pull off something even with the haul um that came from it whether that was something that 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 Celtics fans would tolerate, I would have said, absolutely not. There's no way, you know, they, they, they're going to want to burn it. Even if it's not the wisest move, they're going to want to burn that candle down to the very, very end of contention possibility before letting it go. And it turned out to be the right move, as all of us know. I'm not going to belabor that point too much. But for a thought experiment, um, with a little bit of homage to uh, those uh, Boogie to Boston uh, counterfactual articles that Bill Simmons put out earlier this year, I had the idea of kind of trying to do the same sort of thing with what if what if the Lakers had scooped us and gotten a similar offer from Brooklyn? Um, so I kind of kind of played around with that and. It actually worked out to be fairly plausible in terms of how it might have shaken out with Mike D'Antoni still getting hired. And then maybe, you know, a lot of the people who are on the core of the younger core of, of the Lakers at that time were, you know, not terrible shots. Some people who might actually look a lot better than they are now. Uh, Baysmore, um, you know, Nick Young is having something of a renaissance this year, but he, maybe he might have had it earlier had he had the right kind of coach around, um, you know, a competent NBA coach. Um, <laughs> no offense, no offense to any Lakers fans out there, but I'm, I'm sure you probably aren't arguing with me at this point. Um, so just to kind of, you know, take a look at, uh, particularly with, with light to, you know, the, the trade deadline rumblings that, um, Paul George might be headed to the Lakers no matter what anyone wants in free agency. Um, things might change in a hurry and things might have been very different. So just to just to kind of take stock of where where the teams were before we went into this game, kind of try and upsell it because once they once they moved on uh, from from Mo Williams and kind of gutted their team to hang on to that third pick that they're going to have to convey to the uh, 76ers, I believe, um, if it's not a top three, um, if it doesn't land in the top three. So I mean they're 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 gunning for for the basement now. It's not even being hidden at all. Um and I kind of want to try to do something, you know, to build up the hype because it's you know, it may not be a very interesting rivalry right now, but at least the last time we played them in the season, we had the all-time win thing going for the game. So, you know, it gave a little veneer of historicity 
Um, but let's be honest, this was not the most exciting game for at least the Lakers fans. It was something of a highlight reel for us, though. Especially Jalen Brown. Uh, Jalen Brown came out. I'll have to share some of those highlights. He had two pretty good alley-oops. Um, one from IT, the other from Avery Bradley, where he had probably one of the most acrobatic uh, adjustments in midair. To oh, I saw that. That was right. nuts. Yeah, it was insane. And I mean, it wasn't, I, I didn't think he's going to finish that. Um, well, I thought he was going to fall hard and hurt himself is what I thought. Yeah, was but he like landed on two feet and I think he honestly was fine. And then he just kind of fell from momentum, but it was a pretty simple fall. And uh, yeah, that was, that was a fantastic play. I'll have to share that with, with the hashtag. Um, but that was, yeah, Jalen Brown. And then he had that spin on uh, Jordan Clarkson for the throwdown. Like Jalen Brown really, uh, he played at least one of his best nights in terms of highlights, you know? <laughs> it was just like, it, it was what you kind of expect from a Lakers-Celtics game. I wish that the Lakers were a better team. Um, it was fun to watch as long as you're not a Lakers fan. <laughs> one particular little, uh, Jalen Brown has been giving us little, little, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Easter eggs, I guess is the term. Um, in his post-game talks recently, like the last game against against Cleveland, I think it was, he was talking about a bar fight. You know, I'm, I'm sure you know what he's referencing there. But then in in this particular game, um, oh my god, I completely I completely flaked on 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 the Easter egg he was talking about at the end of this game. Oh, he was talking about Showtime. You know, which oh, yeah. is, he was talking about Showtime to the, uh, to the, I think it was Amanda Plufer, Pl Amanda, yeah. <laughs> I right. can't say her last name, Plugrad? Plugrad, I think. Plugrad. Amanda Plugrad, he was talking about Showtime to, to, to a post-Lakers interview, and I mean, if that isn't rubbing it in while it stings, I don't know what it is. Yeah, I mean, I was, I, I really enjoyed, it was, uh. honestly, I like, everyone played well. I was sad to see, because Isaiah... 18 points, eight assists. Um, and we'll have to talk about, cause he had said that he wants to catch Russ for the scoring title, Russell Westbrook. And that's not I, happening this I, year. I, yeah, it's just not, <laughs> not happening anymore. And it was realistic when he said it, that was when he was still putting up like 30 minimum. That was like a floor for him. Um, and yeah, he's, he's, he's going to need down. a 60 point night to catch that. And Hey, yeah, maybe he will. If you're listening, Isaiah. Break. Um, but you know, I mean, AT, IT had 18, 8 assists, Al Horford 17, Jalen Brown had 16. Everyone was contributing. Everyone was clicking on all cylinders. I think there were six Celtics in double figures. Um, and 70 points in the first half. I want to say that's the, the most dominant half the Celtics have had uh, this season. Well, I mean, um, they should. I mean, arguably the Lakers are challenging Brooklyn for the worst roster in the league at this point. And granted they had a much better roster before the deadline, but they're just downright terrible. I mean, only Clarkson really even seemed to try in this game. He was basically like a one man offensive unit in, in late in the game, putting up like, I think like a 13 point run uh, versus the Celtics, almost making it interesting for a second. Yeah. And one of the guys who was big the last time the Celtics played the Lakers was Lou Williams, who was traded away at the deadline. Yep. Um, and that obviously makes an impact because he's, he's a big scorer. That's part of why Houston chased him. So really, I think the only guy that they had, I don't even know if Tyler Ennis made an appearance. Um, but he was traded for by the Lakers. Uh, they, they've kind of really stripped their roster and, uh, the Celtics really exposed it, um, in this game. Anything else you want to touch on kind of looking at? recap 
Um, well, I don't think as, as, um, Mark Allison, one of the other writers said off offline, Jalen Brown is better than Ingram at the end. No argument here. <laughs> yeah. There's uh, some numbers shown about kind of the comparison between the two of them. Ingram's logging a lot more minutes and his stats don't look that much better. Um, his shooting stats are really significantly worse. Um, a much worse team. And a much worse team. You'd think, I mean, part of what, and we, we've been talking, um, Mark and Luis are going to talk about this in a pod coming up this week. But, you know, rookie of the year numbers a lot of times go to players who are playing on teams where they're allowed to have free reign of the courts. So like Michael Carter-Williams, I want to say, with the 76ers, basically was allowed to do whatever he wanted to do. And he, he had, you know, a great season, but not because he was, like, playing in the scheme of a basketball game. He developed bad habits of just being able to, I mean, if he wanted to pick up a double-double, he would just start passing it. Granted, he might pick up like 10 turnovers, but, you know, he'd get the double-double. And on the stat column, it looks good. So, you know, I mean, you got guys like Brandon Ingram, who's on that bad team where he can do whatever he wants, and he's still not putting up good numbers. You know, I mean, Embiid seems to have been the hands-down favorite um, before the injury, but one thing that you know, I mean, a lot, a lot of people are alert to this, but I mean, between the fact that he's on a minutes restriction, that he's missing games, collectively speaking, um, his efforts are just nowhere near any, even, even before he was injured, they're just, they just weren't up to par. He might've made somewhere in the neighborhood of enough games to be in the conversation by the end of the season, had he been heavily, you know, like not taking games off. Um, just to put it in context, um, he's only played in 31 games. He could have gotten to around 50 games, which is the basement of Rookie of the Year. I'm not going to go too far into this, but Kyrie Irving, Patrick Ewing, and Carter each have 51 and 50 games respectively. Um, Vince Carter, not Michael Carter-Williams, just for clarification. Um okay. Each had 50 or 51 uh, game seasons when they won it. And in terms of minutes, he's only putting up 25 minutes per game with a minutes restriction. And the next closest, I believe, was uh, Tommy Heinsohn's 29.9 minutes per game um, way back in like 1951. And besides that, um, I think Mike Miller had 29 minutes per game. And just about everybody else is well north of 30 minutes per game. So between the two, it doesn't seem like he's a realistic candidate. And like other players like Dario Saric, um, Willie Hernan Gomez, um, and, you know, Brandon Ingram, they're just not putting up the minutes. Um, Isaiah Whitehead is another player who gets floated around along with Yogi Ferrell. Um, I don't really see them as being realistic candidates just because they're putting up some pretty mediocre minutes on some pretty awful time uh, teams. Um, Yogi Ferrell, I think is actually one of the stronger candidates, even though the NBA has him pretty low on the rookie ladder. Um, I don't even understand how Hernan Gomez is even included because he's putting up something like 16 minutes. And yeah, I, Brogdon is another guy I think might be an interesting candidate just because he is on a decent team and putting up some solid numbers. But I mean, there's just really, you guys can talk about it more. Um, the other writers can talk about it more later this week. But from where I sit right now, I don't really see anybody with any better of a case than Jalen Brown has been made, particularly since the All-Star break. Yeah, and there's the question of how important is it to have that free reign where you can put up whatever number you want 
um, compared to actually contributing to a team that's, I don't want to say the Celtics are quote unquote contending, but you know, to contribute to a team that's like really, you know, playing for a playoff spot that's sitting in the position that Boston is, how much value does that have as far as the rookie of the year conversation goes? And everyone on the rookie ladder right now, there's only one guy who's on a team that's even in the playoff race. And uh, that's based on the NBA.com rookie ladder. And that's uh, a guy that genuinely I don't think I've heard of, Pascal Siakam <laughs> with the Raptors. Yeah, well, you know, Brogdon, Brogdon conceivably, particularly now that Milwaukee has Terrence Jones and something, someone else we missed out on, um, they could, they're they still, you know, the, the eighth seed um, is not mathematically impossible. I don't think they're going to make it, but it, it's possible. Yeah. Well, so let's um, kind of look. We, you, I mean, I, I, yeah. The Bucks are weird, a weird situation, and uh, I've got a friend who's a big Bucks fan. Um, you know, they I like Malcolm Brogdon. I think he reasonably is is a good conversation for Rookie of the Year, um, and I think he rivals Jalen Brown in a lot of ways, and at least in the stat column. Um, but yeah, we'll like, we'll leave that to uh, Luis and Mark. They're going to have a podcast up in the middle of, of this week uh, about you know where Celtics stand as far as your awards go. Um, one of those conversations will be Jalen Brown for Rookie of the Year, so definitely look out for that. Um, but let's kind of hit minor storylines, right? There have been a lot of injuries, Embiid being one of them, and especially to playoff contenders, uh, Cavs, Warriors with Love and Kevin Durant respectively. Kyle Lowry just had surgery, or he's pending surgery for his wrist. Um, I haven't seen a timetable on when he'll be back. What is going on as far as these like big stars and suddenly this huge injury risk? It seems like it's been quiet so far this year that it's been like a pretty good season as far as stars go um, and kind of, you know, career or season ending injuries. What do you think is going on? Um, well, there's been some rumblings uh, of the win from the win now camp as there always is. Um, and, there is more wisdom, I think, than usual behind people who have been suggesting we maybe should have made at least a, a, a secondary move to shore up the second unit, rebounding, shooting, things like that. Um, but, I mean, you can counter that with the fact that most of these players who are injured at the moment, um, Lowry, Love, um, Jar Smith, players like that, they could be in a situation where they are going to be back in time for meaningful playoff minutes. So, I mean, without a crystal ball, it's really hard to say whether or not we made the right move. Um, you know, some players like Bogut, between his lukewarm interest in the Celtics and let's just say his less than amicable personality to people he doesn't get along with, um, even on his own teams, um, potentially being a disruption. I'm not too upset about that. I I'm a little bit, speaking of Terrence Jones again, um, you know, we'll beat this horse to death probably eventually, but I'm, I'm a little disappointed that we didn't, we didn't get any traction with him. Um, if you guys have been reading my columns this week, you can tell I'm not at all enthused about the idea of bringing Jared Sullinger back. Um, but really, there weren't too many other candidates out there on the buyer or waiver wire market that we could have taken a look at. Um, 
Matt Barnes, I don't think would have been a good fit for, for personality reasons. Um, Jose Calderon, um, Jennings, Brendan Jennings. Um, I don't think those would have been a good fit, at least in terms of what those guys would have wanted at their, their stage of the career versus what we need. Um, and then like players like, uh, Caspi with his broken thumb, though he might arguably be useful in the playoffs or Scola, who's been, you know, successful against the Celtics in the past. I don't know if he really brings any value. So, I mean, I'm comfortable, particularly post Cleveland when I might've had a different thing to say, had we lost that game also. Um, but right now I'm comfortable with, with the moves that the Celtics have made. Or the lack this, of, I uh, say. this injury to Durant, mm-hmm. how do you think this changes the kind of what people talked about was a formality of a season until a rematch of the finals between the Warriors and the Cavaliers? Do you think this keeps the Warriors out of the finals? Well, there's two things going on with the Warriors, first of which is how long is that injury going to hurt Durant's ability to perform at a high level? And secondly, if it does prevent him and the rest of the team from, from advancing, um, and it could, um, there's still several other teams that are going to be very, very difficult for any team that comes out of the East to beat in a seven game series. Um, most notably the Spurs, the Rockets and the Clippers. Um, I think the Celtics would be okay against the Clippers. They'd have a pretty punching, a puncher's chance against them. Um, I don't think they'd beat Houston and I'm a hundred percent confident they won't beat the Spurs. Um, so from the Celtics perspective, I don't necessarily think it matters so much. It may be more impactful to whoever, um, you know, assuming this it's not the Celtics, whoever ends up in the East finals. Um, so. The key question for me is how long is, is he out for in terms of being able to play at a high level? I think he'll be able to come back. Um, early projections from the MRI have him coming back um, in the first round. So I really, barring a surprise um, appearance by, say, the um, Pelicans, who could really punish them, particularly with a tall guy like um, Durant being absent and what could be a first round matchup, um, that could, that could present some minor problems for them, but I really don't think that there's anyone they're going to be facing in the first round who'd be, besides them, who'd be any, any threat whatsoever at knocking them out in the first. So I really think people are making a bigger deal out of it than they should be. The, uh, I, I think what the only effect this has, cause I think first round should be a cakewalk regardless of where they fall. Um, with or without Durant. I think optimistically, if Durant can come back and shake off some of the rust um, and kind of make sure he's still, you know, feeling good in limited minutes, play the first round um, and then be good to go second round. I think that's kind of an optimistic um, or not necessarily optimistic, but I feel like that that'd be an ideal situation for Warriors fans. The issue falls if the Warriors can secure that one seed without Kevin Durant. Now, I mean, it's, it's a little early to say that they're going to fall apart. They're 0-1 so far without Kevin Durant. If you count the Warriors game, which is the game that he did uh, sustain that injury, or the Wizards game, I should say. They just had uh, their first uh, losing streak of the season, maybe of two seasons. No, one, they had a two-game losing streak last season also. So, yeah, yeah they had, like, what, two, two, two losing streaks in two years. And this is – it's not just – 
um, Durant, obviously, but yeah. Yeah, so if they, because I mean, I think if they fall to the two seed, they could lose second round because I think the Rockets are a really, really tough matchup Yep. for anybody. Um, and if KD, even if he is at full strength, that's a really tough series, second round against the Rockets. Um, whereas the one seed, at least they have a more secure journey to the Western Conference Finals, which will be likely a, uh, a huge fight with the Spurs. Could be the Rockets as well. Um, let's, let's be honest. The the Warriors, even without Durant, even with the depth that they they are still possessing after gutting the team to get him, um, they could probably beat most teams in the league in a seven game series. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's well, yes and no. I mean, I think that the Rockets in the right place, you know, have a really serious. I said most. <laughs> I didn't say all. I think they have a really good chance of toppling the Warriors, even with Durant. I think the Spurs in a seven-game series are someone any team should always be looking out for. Um, and, you know, I mean, even the Clippers, their roster indicates that they should probably at least give them a challenge. Um, and they would likely see them in the second round if they stay as uh, as the number one seed. But do you think this, this – I mean, because the KD injury, we're talking optimistically he's back by this time. Do you think there's a chance that there's a setback that keeps him out? And do you think that that you know, keeps him out of the, the championship? I do, um, only because it's people's bodies. And we've already seen that he is not the fastest healer, at least when it comes to the navicular bone. Um, that's the, the bone that he injured, um, was it a season ago or the season before that? Recently, within the last two seasons anyway, um, he ended up he ended up not having the fastest results and ended up missing a little bit more time. Not, not a huge amount of time, but I, I think it was like another 10 or 15 games that he ended up missing. Um, so, you know, it's hard to say for sure, but I mean, is it out of the picture that he could even potentially miss deep into the playoffs the rest of the year? Yeah, sure. I mean, that's always possible. You never know how a body is going to heal with a particular injury. Thankfully, this is a new injury. I mean, not thankfully, but compared to how it could have been. Um, so it seems like less likely that it's, it's in something that's related to um, previous injuries, though it could be something compens com for compensation of dealing with how he's changed how he moves in response to those, those earlier injuries um, below the knee. Um, so for an incredibly long-winded answer to your very simple question, yes, he could miss more time. They, uh, the Warriors tried to fill that hole with, uh, Matt Barnes at the buyout deadline. So they replaced him with Matt Barnes. Um, well, I, this is like a long out of Celtics kind of conversation for a Celtics podcast. So we'll, we'll kind of rein it back in. Um, we talked earlier about Al Horford and whether he's worth the money that we're paying him. Mm. You were pretty adamant in saying that he absolutely is, and that it's, it's, it's outrageous the Celtics fans are even questioning um, Al Horford. During that Cavs game, after the first half, where he, he was really playing pretty miserably, um, he had, you, know, you, you mentioned he had a good game against the Hawks. Um, and that he, had, maybe... he had the, he had the, the beginning of a good game against the Hawks. It seemed like he started finally coming alive in the second half of that game. Um, 
It may just be that he's not been feeling the first half of games recently. I, I really couldn't say what it is. Um, I know I, I floated the idea that it might be related to the concussion issue that he had earlier in the season. Like those symptoms can just like suddenly reappear for weeks or even years afterwards. And really it's not our business um, if that is what's going on um, until it's a long-term thing. Um, and I just have to say four game slumps. I mean, we have four game slumps from people all over the roster all the time. And like, it's perfectly okay to question effort. It's perfectly okay to question um, whether or not they're earning their money. Just so long as you couch it in, in the fact that like, if this happened for the rest of the season, he would not be worth the money that we're paying him. But I mean, I just, I can't emphasize enough that when you are getting, um, you know, double-digit offense throughout the course of the year with passing in the front court that he delivers with the kind of things that he does on defense, which may not necessarily show up in the stat sheet, um, but if you're watching the games and you can see the impact that he has on games, to me it just seems like a ridiculous question at this point. When I mean, you, I understand where it's coming from. It's all he's getting a lot of money. He's a little older. And when he starts having a slump, particularly after missing as much time as he did early in the season, I get it. But like, seriously, just let's get to the playoffs. And if we, if, if he's underperforming then too, then I'll eat my words. Let's just hope I don't. You hit my points on the head in that he, you know, he contributes on a nightly basis. Um, double digit scoring uh and that he contributes significantly in aspects of the game that aren't necessarily measured in stat columns so you know box score fans uh, probably aren't that high on al horford with that being said you know he's a max deal player um and you know he's not putting up i think points that Celtics fans anticipated when he was signed to this deal. I think Celtics fans were hoping for a guy who's going to be a really strong scorer alongside Isaiah. And that's I, generally, I mean, people care about baskets. That's what you know your casual NBA fan cares about. Al Horford's not a guy who's going to give you all these points, um, or at least he hasn't been. Or and, rebounds, for that matter. But the thing that people should be keeping an eye on is. What does his his assist total look like? Is he yes. is he blocking a shot or two? And that's I mean, that's what I want to talk about is that he is the second best passing big man in the league behind Draymond Green. Yeah. Um who's on an offense that relies on passing the ball so much. I mean, I think that I haven't looked at the numbers lately, but I think the Celtics fall second in the league uh in assists per game. And Al Horford is a, is a huge part of that. Um but you know, I mean, I think fans with these questions being raised are asking, is he worth the money? And I think the question comes at is, uh, is it worth it to have a guy who isn't putting up, you know, 20 plus points per game? I say, yes. A lot of fans are upset that he isn't. Um, and I yeah, mean, he's definitely, he's definitely regressed a little bit on defense. Um, if you look at some of the advanced stats com yeah, this year compared to last year, Against Cleveland, he was sticking with Kyrie Irving. He was, and I was talking talk to my friend who's a huge Cavs fan, and we were kind of texting throughout this game. And he's like, "Horford's trash." And so I was like, "Like he was staying in front of Kyrie Irving on a switch." Feet. You know, he he had really fast feet. He was sticking in front of one of the, the fastest guards in the league, um, and that's not something that shows up in a stat column. You know, that's not something that you can quantify. 
Yep. Um, and, you know, I mean, Al Horford, to, to Celtics fans right now who are listening, who say he's not worth the money that we're paying him, maybe he is like a tiny bit more expensive than what we should be paying him. But we snagged one of the best power forwards uh, in the East um, who has, you know, metrics-wise, he's, he's a plus-minus darling, which we heard about Amir Johnson when he was signed. And, you know, say what you want about Amir, but you know, Amir's contributed well over the past two years of his contract. And the Celtics right now are sitting second in the East. Al Horford is a huge part of that. How much more do you guys want? I mean, I know like, the answer is Banner 18, but let's, let's you know, walk that back a little bit and wait till we're ready for it. It's a working process, and Al Horford has been a huge contributor on this team. Is he worth his money? I say yes. I think he's, you know, and I'll agree, maybe he's a tiny bit more than, than we're paying, but we had to offer the max deal to prime away from Atlanta. That's just how free agency works. Um, and, you know, you can question that, but what are our options otherwise? That we're starting Kelly Olenek? I mean, I, I like how Kelly Olenek's been playing, but like we, that we kept Jared Sullinger, what are the other options and where's the upgrade? Um, and in terms of if you look at it, of just like you plug it into ESPN, like trade machine or whatever, you know, you get the how many wins does this affect? Wins above replacement, which is a big metric in baseball, Al Horford's killing it. And, and that's just kind of how it works. Um, he's been a great addition to this team, and I think absolutely he's worth what we're paying him. No question for me. And I, I think, Justin, you agree. Oh, 100%. So, anything else you want to hit major storylines, or should we move on to minor? Oh, well, we are dragging a little bit, so let's just try to zoom through them and get to the week ahead. Um, we have that West Coast trip coming up, so we have some stuff to talk about there, too. Um, we have the Draymond and Paul Pierce feud continuing on with Draymond taking it to his podcast. I don't have too much to say in that other than, you know, maybe, um, maybe Draymond has some points, but, uh, I don't think that they are really worth entertaining too seriously because did anybody really think that he was trying to get that comeback to her? Um, and, you know, I've heard it around the league that, you know, his, uh, Paul Pierce's response, the, the 3-1 memeification is a little bit tired. And it's true, but, like, seriously, this is not news. Draymond is a jerk, and he feeds off being a jerk. And Paul Pierce is beloved, no matter what Draymond Green wants to think. So, um, Yabu. Gershon Yabuselli, the bear, the French guy. <laughs> he's heading to Maine. Uh, after his season ends in Europe, I want to say, is where he's playing. No, he's playing in China. China? Um, and let me just, you know, I know what some of you guys are thinking. Can we sign him? Well, the date's already passed for having him join the team and be playoff eligible. Um, it would kickstart his NBA uh, timeline in terms of rookie scale for the whole season we would lose. Um, so that would be another very good reason not to even if we could um so yeah uh no he's just gonna get some extra reps in our system which will be very very valuable and um you know we can we can watch that a little bit easier uh it's a little bit easier to find uh video of d-league games than it is uh chinese basketball association games at least unless, unless you read chinese which i don't yes and right now he's playing mostly off the bench um in china and i'm looking at his numbers right now he's kind of 
based on just a stat column, the epitome of what a big man is in the current NBA. Um, shooting just over 37% from three. He's scoring uh, almost 10 points per game, I think. I'm trying to read the stat column. It's a pretty high level of competition too. I mean, it's not it's not as good as some of the highest leagues in highest level leagues in Europe. Um, but it is. I mean, it's not like Eurobasket material, but it is definitely a higher level of play than the D League. Um, so he's getting some really quality reps, and just to be able to bring him over, I think, is going to be really really good to have him playing within a Boston Celtic style offense um, with people who know the system. Yeah, and averaging just under um, 10 rebounds per game, which is big. Something Celtics fans obviously want to look for. Um, Terry Rozier, he's been uh, missing wide open layups. What's up with that? Um, I think Marcus Smart is just, you know, channeling all that energy to be successful in the post at roughly the same period. I, I see a connection. No, I actually don't, but. Trying <laughs> <laughs> to combine our mighty storylines. Yeah, no, Terry, he's just breaking wide open layups. He's like on the fast break and he's like, oh, I'm going to put up this layup. Should he just be dunking it instead? What do you think is going on? I don't know. Is he overpaid? <laughs> he's, uh, <laughs> I, I love Terry here, but damn, he needs to figure out how to score within a foot of the basket. <laughs> my my theory, realistically, on Terry, not to spend too much time on it, but is just that he's seen his time shrink and he's getting excited, you know? And when you're excited and you're trying to make everything count, sometimes you just get caught up in the moment. He's still a young guy and, you know, he's still getting those butterflies. I'm, I'm you know, I don't know this, but I'm guessing. Um, or it's just an old-fashioned slump, you know? Let, let the man shoot his way out. He's not having issues outside of three feet, I don't think. Yeah, it's just something. It's, it's just, just on the fundamental layup issue. You know, Do like, you really think that he has a problem with that? I don't. I think no, it's just I mean, it's, it's just kind of amusing, and it's like rough uh, when he bricks an open layup, um, especially because we don't grab the offensive rebound behind him. So it's it's just kind of frustrating. But yeah, so far it hasn't led to any lost games, I don't think. Um, he missed those two during the Cleveland game, uh, which I was livid about, but you know, whatever we came over the W, um, yes or no Celtics are contenders post the Cavalier win. Yeah. I mean, like depends on what you mean by contender. I, I mean, contender. Can they win the championship? Yes or no? Yes. They can win a championship and not without help. Okay. <laughs> All right. We'll definitely talk about that next week. Listeners, if you want to tweet yes or no or how you feel about that, feel free. Hashtag Celtics Life Podcast. Uh, let's hit upcoming week. We'll try and rattle through these. West Coast road trip. Uh, start in Phoenix, Arizona against probably the second worst team, tied for second worst team. In terms of record, absolutely. Um, their roster is a little bit better, but I mean, not They're rough. They've got They've got a better youth movement. Um, yeah, they have, they have some stuff to work with, at least, compared to, say, Brooklyn. Sorry, I've been keeping my eye on uh, Dragon Bender, because we, we had talked about whether we wanted to draft him, um, and that was kind of something that it looked like a lot of Celtics fans were interested in maybe doing that. They were hoping maybe he'd be the next Porzingis. Yeah, um, and that's the thing. Like, there is this, like, Euro big man, um, I guess I would call it cycle, where somebody floats in, um, blows everyone's minds, and then the next draft, everyone's like, this person's going to be the next fill-in-the-blank. They automatically do a Darko Millet, 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 Millet Darko. Yeah, I can't say his name. <laughs> um, 
And everyone is like, well, European big men are terrible. No one should ever draft them again. And then, you know, the cycle repeats itself. Um, yep. And I kind of feel like he was on the wrong side of that cycle. I don't think he's going to be a bad player. I really don't. I'm also very thankful we didn't draft him. He's got yep. a very slow release point, um, and he is not really being used. Like they 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 really tried to use him a lot, um, kind of as more of a combo forward than really someone who should be playing, in my opinion, more of a five until he's faster and more adjusted to the NBA. Um, and it just hasn't been working. Um, I'm, as I said, I'm super happy we didn't end up taking him, but I think also it's fair to say, as long as you're not asking whether or not we should have drafted him, we, sh we should have drafted him. Um, he's going to be an okay player. I just don't think he was, I don't think he should have been a top five player. I think maybe somewhere yeah. in like the late lottery to, to, to early, to early first, or early late first round. Well, we won't see him on Sunday. We could um, see him again. Oh, actually, no. Do we have any more games against Phoenix? I think that might be our last game. I don't there. think so. But uh, he's going to be back in, in probably before the end of the season if it goes well for him with his ankle surgery. But yeah, Marquise Chris, um, who plays for the Suns, who's competing for Rookie of the Year. Um, at least he's slightly in the conversation. He took Rookie of the Month, I believe, for January. He's been a big surprise. I thought he was going to be a train wreck with his lack yeah. of NBA experience and what I saw from him in college. I never thought that he was going to be, again, a bad player, but I actually I thought that he was going to do better than Bender just from, from his reps overseas. Yeah, so he... Um, he Honestly, those are the only names that are really... I mean, Brandon Knight, I think, is still there. Like, if you try... Dudley and... is also out there. He's He's... he's putting up respectable numbers and yeah but it's like the suns i can never think of anybody in the suns people are like oh who's on the suns i'm like uh it's gonna be a win unless we completely block it and uh, i think darren devin what i don't even know what his name is the one who came from kentucky i hated him bledsoe no the the kid the... devin booker yeah that one yeah devin booker i just hate him he looks i just i look i see him <laughs> and i get angry <laughs> it's just what well... i and I'm going to hate Stern him as he gets He's coming off of that apple at least a little bit. He's going to unfortunately be a good player, and that's going to bother me for a long time. Yeah, not as good as some people seem to think he was, but, I mean, he's, he's competent, but he's also got some pretty interesting shot selection, so it should be an easy win. So then we move on to Los Angeles for a matchup against the good the LA. The good Los Angeles team, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, they've been... It's. I think the CP3 is back, right? Or he's supposed to be yeah, back. Yeah, he's back. He's he, he actually came back pretty, pretty strong. Um, he's not been too bad since coming back. Blake also. Blake has been good since coming back from from injury earlier in the Blake season. Has been really good since coming back. He's because uh, last year he struggled and he's been kind of having an off year and a half um, yeah. leading up to this point, and he's been playing back at like. When he was in the MVP conversation uh, two seasons ago, the year About before, that. Yeah. Yeah, year before last, um, he's kind of playing back at that form, which is it's good to see. Um, but it's going to be a tough matchup. He's going to go straight head to head with Al Horford. Um, it'll be kind of like unstoppable object versus unmovable force, or whatever the phrase is, um, of defense versus offense. So that'll be interesting to see. Um, yeah, it's going to be a tough game, especially because it's on the road in Staples Center. Um, 
Winnable, but I think we're going to end up dropping that one just because we won the home one. We're, we're real close in terms of season performance injuries and whatnot affecting the record. They've been a little bit less, um, they've, they've responded to their adversity a little bit more poorly than, than Boston has, but I guess you could argue that they're, they're more, more key players have been injured. So, so there's that. We stay in Cali, move on to the Bay Area for a tilt with the uh, Warriors. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I was going to say Wizards, and then I like... Just, no, the, Gold, the Golden State Wizards. Yeah, the Wizards. Uh, match for a tilt with the Warriors. Um, Durantless. Should, I think we can take that one. And sweep I think so, it. too. I think that might be a sneaky win that we could pull off, but... um. All in all, I, I really feel like this is going to be a two-and-two two week. I'm kind of optimistic. Okay. We rounded out against Denver. And they, you know, actually, granted, they, they've been playing well. They've been playing fun basketball. It's been fun to watch um, with the Joker, Nikolai Jokic. Yep. Um, who is definitely the guy to look out for in that game. Um Farid is out, but I don't necessarily think that's a problem. They still have a lot of uh, front court depth, and that's basically it. <laughs> it's not it's not going to hurt them to be able to give some of their other guys some time. So I'm not too worried about that. Um, Look out for uh, the Joker getting into foul trouble. That's been his kind of bane lately. Um, but yeah, I I'm optimistic. I mean, I I could see it going a bunch of directions. I could see a sweep the week. I could see us going two and two. Um, I like kind of the safe bet of saying three and one, um, and, you know, taking one of the wins against the Clippers or the Warriors. And then we, I mean, realistically, that's probably what's going to happen, but I've been, I've been consistently let down just when I think we are about to pick up a head of steam. So I kind of feel like this might be yet again, that happening. And I don't think it's going to come against Phoenix. I think that they're just too weak for that to happen. Let's pull, let's hope I'm wrong. I think, uh, two and two is where we're going to be. Well, let's, uh, I'll try and hit this quick, but like, you know, the, the Lakers game would come off a huge win against the Cavs and then crush the Lakers. Do you think this momentum carries over? Um, do we crush the, the Suns and then go to LA riding this like dominant streak? I don't think so because I think that when you start playing teams that are that bad back to back, you might start to think a little bit much of yourself. And the Clippers are close enough to us where, like, the Warriors just don't care. They just want to stay healthy. There's a, there's a very good chance that they end up, you know, not giving us their all. So I think that your prediction that that might be a sneaky win is not that crazy. But the Clippers, I think that's that's going to be a tough game, particularly particularly if we have this ongoing tendency of uh, thinking a little bit much of ourselves once we start doing really well. All right. Well, promos. Anything you're working on? Well, um, I just started out the very first episode or edition, or however you want to frame it, of a countdown to the NBA draft edition um which is going to basically be you guys giving me you the readers i should say giving me feedback on which players you would most like the celtics to draft on all potential draft spots so the way that's going to work is i'll give you guys four players based on current draft boards likely to be in the range and interest of the celtics um every potential draft spot which there are six of if we don't necessarily make the the pick swap with the the nets which 
of course, we're almost certainly going to do it, but I'm going to cover all of those picks just because a draft night switch, a trade, whatever could change that. And we might end up actually drawing one of our own picks that we would have ended up conveying with the, with the pick swap. So keep an eye out for that. Um, and then apart from that, um, yeah, just, uh, you know, we're, we're going to the final stretch. Do you have anything you're working on or no? I'm going to be, I'm trying to pick up my writing. I've been off a lot lately. Um, I'm hoping to get some IT for MVP stuff going, um, conversations about that. Uh, maybe I think we're doing stuff for the podcast um, this week regarding you know, just where the Celtics stand as far as end of the year awards. I'm going to try and put some stuff up regarding that. Um, and then, yeah, definitely look out for that podcast uh, coming probably Wednesday is when we're going to try to roll that one out. Um, and yeah, you can find this pod on iTunes, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, SoundCloud, MixCloud. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And if you like what you're here, be sure to rate us five stars. Uh, we would definitely appreciate it. Um, shoot us suggestions if there's something you want to hear. Uh, we're always trying to kind of evolve this. I mean, we're only like 10 episodes deep. I don't even think we're that far in. So we're, we're still learning and evolving every every time. So definitely let us know if there's something you want to hear. Uh, you can tweet stuff to hashtag Celtics Life Podcast or Celtics Life Pod. We're definitely keeping that um, in front of us, trying to see if there's anything we want to add. We'll put, add some videos and different tweets that we think are interesting alongside that. Um, yeah, that's basically all we got. Definitely check out all the stuff on CelticsLife.com. The link's at the top. We've got a lot of merch, uh, shirts, hoodies in our store. You can even get tickets to the next game under that heading. So that's all that I think we got from our podcast today. Justin, thanks for being here, man. Appreciate it. As always, looking forward to all that draft stuff. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks, you too. Have a good one, guys. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.